United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, Hi, I'm Jim Juno, and this is Life's Camera Author, and each week I talk to those who write books about movies, television, and Hollywood in general, here on WRIR 97.3 FM. Rob Paulson is one of Hollywood's busiest, most talented, and most passionate performers. And if you don't know him by name, you will know him by the characters that he has brought to life. Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Yakko from Animaniacs, the tough but lovable Raphael from the original animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and many more. So you can imagine how terrifying it must have been when Rob was diagnosed with stage 3 throat cancer, putting his entire livelihood in jeopardy and threatening to rob the world of all of his charming characters that filled our youth and adulthood with humor and delight. Voice Lessons tells the heartwarming and life-affirming story of Rob's experience with an aggressive cancer treatment and recovery regimen, which luckily has led to his full recovery. I talked to Rob about his new book, Voice Lessons. Rob Paulson, you're Yakko and Pinky of Pinky and the Brain with the Animaniacs. Welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you very much. It's so my pleasure to be here. I can actually see you from the water tower here in, in Burbank, and uh, you're looking pretty good, pal. The uh, holidays notwithstanding, you look like you took a couple of punches. You're all right. <laughs> I tell you what, that is, that, is, that is so great. You doing that? You doing that voice? It's uh, incredible. But um, I tell you what, your new book is called Voice Lessons: How a Couple of Ninja yeah. Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac Saved My Life. And yeah. basically, I mean, the book is, it, it is really personal to you, isn't it? It's your personal story of what you went through when you had a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, it, thank you for bringing it up. It is, it is intensely personal, um, as it is for anyone who's going through a, a life-threatening circumstance. And sadly... Uh, someone having cancer is uh, no big deal unless of course it's someone you love or yourself it's just so ubiquitous um, we're making strides every day uh, and and um, I'm a good example of someone who a few years ago was battling stage 3 throat cancer and I'm now cured so um, there are some cancers that are quite curable if you get them early enough um, and in my case we did but um, honestly <clears throat> I have to tell you the book was something that fans, uh, well-meaning, and I certainly accept the compliments uh, and the spirits in which they were given, but would say, oh my gosh, you have this really great career, and, and, and you should write a book about your experiences. Well, again, I appreciate that, but um, I'm just an actor. I'm not a movie star. The characters are famous, and I utter, utterly understand the distinction, and I'm fine with it. I'm, my ego is in total check. Um, I don't draw them. I don't write them. I get incredibly wonderful opportunities, some of which we've already mentioned, Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Ninja Turtles, a couple of times, Jimmy Neutron, The Tick, The Mask, uh, <laughs> all the Disney Afternoon stuff, Tasmania, Darkwing, I mean, on and on and on. But that's not a big deal. The last thing the world needs is a celebrity bio, especially from someone who's not a celebrity. I didn't have... 12 marriages, I didn't in, in and out of rehab, I didn't find religion, I didn't go to prison, however... But you're so young, you could still do that, you could still do those things. Uh, day's not over, <laughs> right now. Um, however, when I got diagnosed with throat cancer, and as I was getting through it, I thought, you know what, 
depending upon how this shakes out, now I think I got a book. This, this could be not only an interesting story, but I think inspirational. Again, not so much because of me, but because of what, ex what I've experienced vis-a-vis -vis these characters, and that is the inspirational story. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it it really struck me that you know I mean well let's let's start at the beginning here where where when you were first wanting to go into show business this is not a decision your parents or at least your father didn't agree with. Well, no, that's true, and and uh, there, I'm sure there are performers out there listening or folks who used to be, and you know if you consider something like that being a professional athlete. Um, you know, uh, uh, a, a painter, um, something, you know, an actor, all that stuff. It's uh, the je the first response is, well, all that's fine, but what are you going to do for a real living? You know, what are you going to do to make money? What are you going to do when that doesn't work out? You know, and and again, I, I, I that is not an unusual circumstance for many folks who want to go in the athletics or creative endeavors. Um, but uh, uh, so my parents were no different in that realm. Um, they were very supportive of both uh, of me and my siblings to perform because they were performers themselves, my parents, when they were younger, but I don't know that they expected to create a monster. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't well received, but I, like a lot of kids, said, okay, I understand. I'm now on my own. Um, if I'm old enough to, you know, be drafted, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, you're right, but you do understand that the money that was going to send you... Uh, follow you to Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan is not following you to California should, should you choose this route and I said no I don't expect that I understand and off we go and I gulped and, and uh, I went on about my business my parents did not stop loving me they were very supportive emotionally but you know they were clear we got, you got siblings that got to go to college and if you choose not to take it you do not have to we will not stop loving you but this is where the gravy train ends, and I I accepted that. And you, when you when you decided to go out to California, um, from was it Flint, Michigan? Is that where you were from? Correct. I was born in Detroit, reared around that area, and went to high school in a small town south of Flint called Grand Blanc. And I uh, left from the Flint area uh, forty. Oh my gosh, it'll be forty-two years ago this June. Oh wow. But and then, but yeah. the, when you first went out to went out to California or Los Angeles or Hollywood or however you want to whatever you want to call it, you didn't immediately go into animation. You 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 went into uh, live action action acting. If I can get the yeah, words well, out. Yes, that was my ostensible reason for coming. I, I was a singer who became an actor, and had done a lot of theater around the country, and decided it was time to move to L.A. to apply my trade. But I did not come out here. I'd certainly done voice work, uh, local radio, and creating characters on my own and things that I just used to love to do like everybody else who does this we play from the time we can remember and and it's a lot of it brings me a lot of joy and, it, and it's very you know it's creative fun um, so when I came out here it was not with doing voice work in mind as a full time gig it was performing whatever that meant TV music yeah, and I was doing that movies then in the mid 80s uh, the opportunity came for an audition like any other audition in Hollywood through your agent and the only this one was for voice work and it was for a new show called uh, G.I. Joe and there was a, another show by the same company for which I was auditioning called Transformers and uh, that was, I don't know, 83, 84 um, and the first thing I noticed when I walked in there was 
not only people I'd recognize from episodic television who were doing cartoons as well, but the cool thing was I saw people doing characters with their voices for which they would never have been considered on camera. And I, I thought, oh my God, this is the gig. I hope I can get more of this. And so the more it came around, the more I jumped at the chances to audition and I'd get more and more work. And then people said, hey, we understand you're a singer. Yes. Can you sing in character? You bet I can. And and I was having the time of my life getting paid well, working with world-class actors and not being pigeonholed uh, because I was just an average American, average looking all-American kid from Flint. It was pretty neat. And you, and you first now your first job you mentioned it was GI Joe was it um what character was that on GI Joe yeah. Tripwire is that what it was? It was Tripwire and then we I did another one Tripwire was a demolitions expert and then I did another character uh, from the Boston area called uh, um, oh gosh Snow Job uh, Snow Job thank you very much <laughs> yeah that was his name he was a, a down easter from up there in Boston. And uh, so they, they asked me if I could do that sort of, uh, you know, dialect around the country there. And I said, yeah, I could sound maybe like I'm from Fall River. Could knock this out a little bit here. So uh, it was great. And I had a blast. I was, I don't know, 28 years old, 27. I just, this is the greatest. And of course, I loved cartoons growing up, like pretty much everybody else with a pulse. But I took, I think, special interest just because I was driven by performing. And who does that? How do they do it? And so I was very, very excited to be in that realm all of a sudden. I was just wondering, did you? St was there any form of studying, like how people talked, or because um, in your book it sounds like you just picked it up naturally? Well, a little bit of both. I did pick it up naturally, but I had grandparents um, from Denmark on my father's side and from Macedonia, Eastern Europe, on my mother's side, and I was surrounded by. Uh, dialects and very different dialects. Danish is, you know, a guttural kind of obviously Nordic thing and uh, Macedonian sounds a lot like Slovakian uh, um, Slavic languages, you know, maybe a little bit of Greek. Um, and so I, I heard that all the time. Uh, languages spoken, um, English spoken with a Danish or a Slavic dialect, which was always very interesting to me. So I had it around me naturally. I'm a singer, and I had a, my mother was, a, was an excellent singer. I had a good ear. Mm -hmm. But in terms of studying, yeah, once I, I really started finding out that I could make money at it, and I enjoyed making a living that way, I started to take more interest and, and try to study dialects and accents and really work hard on ones that really gave me difficulty and if I would meet someone from that area of the world, I really, I would tell them right up front, I just would love to chat with you because I, I would like to, you know, see if I can steal a little bit of your dialect. And um, so, it's, yeah, it's a combination of both, but I'm definitely kind of an armchair student, but I am of, of performing anyway, acting, singing, theater work. I just, I'm, I'm always impressed and love to see new actors, classics and people whom we, who maybe are gone, but young folks coming up too. So the same thing was true when I was, Younger, starting with cartoons, I just like to explore and ask questions. Were you? Uh, were you? I guess you were a fan of Mel Blanc, of course. Oh yeah, man! I and I got to work with Mel, which was a huge thrill. Um, but yeah, big—you pretty much can't be a fan of animation without being a, a fan of Mel Blanc. He was mm -hmm. uh, one of a kind, to be sure. But um, yeah, and the other people who were very inspirational to me, performing-wise, was as I mentioned, Jonathan Winters and. Um, 
Red Skelton, Carol Burnett, her crew, Harvey Corman, Tim Conway, Peter Sellers, huge influence. Oh, the yeah. Pythons, huge influence. Uh, Lucille Ball, I, just really marvelous comics, actors, comedic actors. Um, yeah, the, Peter Sellers, just huge influence. When you, uh, when you, well, I don't want to call it your big break because you were busy before this, but when you landed the Mutant Ninja. I mean, like, <laughs> mutant turtles, Ninja yeah. Turtles, yeah. Um, mutant Ninja yeah. Teenage or whatever. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'll yeah. get it out. Don't worry. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> That's okay. Um, no problem. That that really skyrocketed your career up to another level, didn't it? Oh, yeah. That was a big deal because... Um, well, I, let me take that back. It was not a big deal initially because when we read for it and, and got the job, it was an odd title and uh, who knows you just never know I've worked on many projects that had the the same love and attention that it, that Animaniacs has had with a pile of money and they just go right down the flusher you just never know yeah um, so this was not a hit out of the shoot but when it became a hit um, it really did make a big difference because all of a sudden I'm associated with a giantly successful property and I don't know that I was any better an actor but you know, your name gets around Hollywood a little more, and people say, "Oh, there's this kid is doing this thing," and you know, he's on that Ninja Turtle thing that I just spent a hundred bucks on toys for my kids, and maybe we should bring him on this because he's on a hit show. You know, that it just changes. Yeah. Your, um Kind of juices up your pedigree a little bit. So that definitely happened. But if Ninja Turtles changed my career, then Animaniacs changed my life. That that's, was a totally different animal. That's um, what my next doing question. Doing that to Steven Spielberg, yeah. Yeah, you uh, you got picked personally by Steven Spielberg uh, for Yakko. Yes. The music at the start of the show was Rob Paulson's most well-known song from Animaniacs, Yakko's World. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Author, recorded in the Vineland Road Studios for WRIR 97.3 FM. Today I'm talking with Rob Paulson about his new book, Voice Lessons. Uh-huh. And, and I am still, when I read your book about Yakko's World... That song, oh, you, yeah. you did it in one take. And I did. Um, and I, but but that's not nearly as impressive as it sounds. Uh, I I um, it's not false modesty. I'm good at my job, but Jesus, I should be. I've been doing it for you know decades. But uh, the trick, not the trick, the truth of why Yakko's world is so remarkable is simply because it was written by a man who is. Um, the word gets banded about a lot in Hollywood that this guy, Randy Rogel, is a bona fide genius. Um, And we know that because he continues to write stuff at the level of Yakko's world over and over and over again. Um, But So the reason that I did it in one take was that I'd had it to rehearse for a couple of days and I had the music in front of me. Um, the, The Writing that stuff, is what's difficult. You, you know, we live in, I live in Hollywood. I'm literally in front of Warner Brothers Studios at the moment here in, uh, in Burbank. And, um, the, the, in fact, the studio at which I recorded Yakko's World. Like, I can see it right now. But uh, you can throw a dart in this town and hit a good singer. You can't throw a dart and hit somebody who can write that stuff. And moreover, write it, you know, at a, a certain length so it doesn't get too long and then have somebody come in and pick it apart and write it again it's just really 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 a special genius talent and Randy Rogal has it in spades so when I got that song I looked at it and it was kind of mind-blowing 
and I rehearsed it. I had the music in front of me, and we pushed record. I recorded it. Um, everybody looked at each other on the other side of the glass and said, you want to do it again? And I said, okay. So we did it again, and they all looked at each other and said, I think we got it on the first one. <laughs> so we did. And it's, uh, it's a remarkable song. Uh, do it. Do absolutely and only to Randy. He's a, he's a uber talent. I'll tell you, I want to hear you do it so badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I will, you know what I will do for you and your audience? There's um, a new lyric that Randy wrote because of guys, he's, you know, as I said, he's a genius. So the, the, um, the song's been updated a bit. And of course, we know that the world has changed. So mm -hmm. here are the new countries that Randy forgot to put in the old, well, I didn't forget. And it, the world wasn't the way it is 25 years ago. So it, it goes like this. It goes, <clears throat> Montenegro and Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Soviet Union is gone. South Africa, Georgia, Moldova, Latvia, Belarus, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, then there's Tajikistan too, Turkmenistan, Kurdistan, Armenia, Tonga, Palu, Lithuania, Serbia, Kosovo, U.S. Samoa, the Balkans, and I, Macau and Crimea, then Eritrea, Ukraine and Estonia, here's Macedonia, New Caledonia, Eastern Slavonia, Ivory Coast and Cape Verde, Andorra, the Solomon Islands, Dubai. <laughs> oh, that is so great. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, uh, something of Randy... Randy, again, just rattled that off when he had, you know, 11 minutes that he wasn't busy. It's pretty amazing talent. Do you have a favorite um, voice that you do? Besides, I mean, Yakko or Pinky? One. The next one. <laughs> the next one, because things I'm working. And, you know, when you're lucky enough to be a, a full-time performer for a living, uh, at, but not a movie star, it, it's a grind. I'm a freelancer. I, I don't feel sorry for myself. Nobody forced me into this. I'm successful. I have a great career, but I'm always, you know, trying to hustle for the next gig. I love to work. I really do love to work. I guess I could retire, but I just love to. And so, yeah, the next one, because I'm working. But if I had to choose from what I have done, it'd be pretty tough not to go with Animaniacs, because I love singing, uh, but also Pinky in the Brain, because um, getting a chance to work with my friend Maurice LaMarche, two characters have really become uh, iconic and when Mo and I are together people just love love hearing Pinky in the Brain chat oh, it's, a, yes. it's a great show now I don't mean to change gears here but I have to but I want to no. talk to you because when you received your cancer diagnosis of course that has to be yeah. mean, when you when you depend on your voice especially mm -hmm. and suddenly you're told you have a serious issue with your throat yeah how, you you approached, but you didn't you didn't get down. That's amazed me about your book. You did oh, not get down. No, I did. Well, look, I, it, it certainly isn't the kind of news anyone wants to hear. But down is a relative term. I did not get depressed and start to feel sorry for myself. Not at all. Um, I, and that's what the book is about. Uh, remember, when I was diagnosed, I was almost sixty years old. So even if the worst had happened and the doctors came back and said, "Look, here's the deal." Uh, you're on your way out. We're going to help you as much as we can to keep you comfortable, but you should get your stuff in order. And you know, I, I would it wouldn't have been thrilling. Um, it would have been sad. But we all the people who are listening know people who've had cancer, and I'm no different. It was my turn in the cage. Um, mm -hmm. I I had a marvelous career. I had an incredibly wonderful life. 
I've been married to the same woman for 30 plus years. My son has grown and healthy and now is married himself. I've won an Emmy. I've won all the Peabody Award. I've won all kinds of cool stuff and anything that anyone who does what I do could ask for and, and much, much more. But that's not what they said. They said, we're pretty sure we can kill, uh, cure you, but before we do, we almost have to kill you. Yeah. The treatment, for obvious reasons, your mouth, your throat, it's very brutal. It's really uncomfortable. Um, it's tough. But they're very, they were virtually sure they could give me an 80% chance of survival after five years. So I, I, great odds. Yeah. Um, so what the book is about, though, and the reason I didn't kind of lose it was because as a result of this wonderful career that I've discussed, I've had innumerable opportunities to chat with children and their parents who didn't make it. You know, people, I would get a phone call, and again, not just me, all of us do this. I'm not special. I just am very, very fortunate, and I love to be able to help. Um, but we get phone calls about, well, you know, a young Robbie is in the hospital, and um, he's got a, a glioblastoma. He's brain cancer. He's not going to make it. Uh, but, boy, he loves Ninja Turtles. And if Raphael could maybe give him a call and maybe see if the other turtles would give him a call, it sure might cheer him up. And we would know, you know, or talk to their parents because you do anything, anything to help your child, even if you already know that your child's not going to leave the hospital in the way in which you, you'd hoped. Right. And so whatever, whatever it takes, make a wish. They do it all the time. The heroes everywhere. Um, of course Raphael would give him a call. Of course Pinky would call. Of course Yak, you name it. And so I got to do that, I don't even know how many times, dozens and dozens of times. Often the parents would keep in touch with me after their children passed away, just to let me know how important it was that Pinky, uh, or Pinky and the Brain called uh, their little girl, and they'll never forget it, and she's been gone now a few years, but you need it. Then people found out about my cancer. And often these same parents would call and find a way to remind me that Raphael called Chad, and Chad's been gone now for 12, 13 years, but we just need to tell you, Rob, what it meant for Raphael to call Chad. And so we just want to let you know that, you know, we're praying for you. All of the things that people did, and it was utterly as about as a result of the characters. Not me. And again, it's not false modesty. I, I, I can help, and I can write a check, but Raphael and Donatello, and Pinky, and Bart Simpson, and Mickey Mouse, and the Transformers, and Spongebob, can really make a difference. And I'm not talking about just a, an occasional smile. I mean, the thing where the parent, 15 years later, calls the actor who was the voice guy, and says, you will never know what Raphael meant to my family. You will never know what Bart Simpson meant, or... SpongeBob, you know, to my son who passed away. But every time we sp see SpongeBob, we smile, we think of our son, you know, and that happens all the time as a result of these characters. And that is what the book is about. That's why I didn't lose my stuff, because I knew that I had all of that that joy and humor and gratitude inside me, and and. All I had to do was find a way to refocus it on my own self. I had nothing about which to be sad. Frightened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's always scary. You don't know what you're getting to. It hurts. It's really uncomfortable. See, I was frightened, but I was a big boy, and I wasn't as frightened as, a, as young Chad, who didn't make it past 11. 
or Chad's mom and dad who every day have to put on their pants. So, uh, you know, I, I had things in perspective, but only because of these glorious opportunities I've, ha I've had as a result of this incredible job. It's um, it's pretty magical to see it happen. I got to tell you. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, you, and you mentioned you mentioned Chad, and there was a. Is this the same Chad that you talk about in the book? Yes. Yes, he's the he's the the fellow who really is the um, the center focus of the book. But he's a metaphorical for all the other children that if, that you know my characters, quote unquote. Because as I said, I don't draw them and I don't write them. But all the characters that that all of us who do this work call kids all over the world or meet them in person or whatever. Often I meet kids and, and they know that I'm the voice guy, but then they see this old guy who looks like a grandpa in front of him and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter because once Pinky starts talking, it doesn't matter, makes everybody smile. No, it's the greatest. <laughs> oh yeah, my see? God. <laughs> I tell you, and, and Animaniacs, are they coming, are they coming back on Hulu? They are. Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain are going to be back on Hulu this fall. I don't know exactly the date, but I think sometime October, September, October, that neighborhood. Uh, but, yep, Mr. Spielberg has decided, King of Hollywood has decided it's time to do Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain again, and I cannot tell you how exciting that whole prospect is. And um, I, uh, the opportunity now to bring joy again to that many people now and their children and often their grandchildren. We have sometimes three generations of people who like Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. So it's far more popular now than it was when it premiered. And I'm, man, I can't even tell you how exciting that wave is going to be to ride. And that was, and you mentioned it in the book, how you, you four of you, four of you guys, Therese McNeil, uh, Maurice LaMarche, uh, yourself, um, and the guy who put the English accent in Wacko. Yeah, Jess Harnell. Jess Harnell, right. yes. All got back in the yep. studio for the first time in 25 years. Yep, it was great. We all got back together and it was really uh, kind of transcendent because we are all very good friends. We see each other regularly in other work and parties and we go to each other's homes. I mean, we're very, very close friends. I've known Tress McNeil, who's Dot, uh, since 1979. Wow, and it's gonna. I'm really looking forward to it because I'll be honest with you. Fair disclosure, I was a big Animaniacs fan and Pinky and the Brain fan when I was just a little bit younger than I am now. You know, but I was still an Thanks. adult. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's remarkable. It, it's really good stuff. And so we've all been dear friends. But to all be back in the studio for that purpose again was really wonderful. And it was kind of cool to see everybody. Also, in that context, we were, we were already working and already been successful um, before Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain came out. But to now see us 25 years later um, and the other things we've done, Tress has done 600 episodes of The Simpsons alone. She's the crazy cat lady and she's Dolph and she's um, mom on Futurama and she was uh, Babs Bunny on Tiny Toons and. I don't even know how much other stuff she's done. So to get to see, you know, Mo and Tress and Jess again in the context of Animaniacs, knowing what we'd all done separately as well, it was really a, an incredible group of folks to get together. Um, um, uh, don't even truly know how to express how incredibly grateful I am to be part of this community. I, 
I'm a lucky guy, and uh, I'm really grateful that people have continued to embrace me and uh, and allow me opportunities to work. And then nice folks like you call and want to hear what I have to say about my book, and I I'm really grateful that you gave me the opportunity. Well, Rob, I'm thanking I thank you for appearing on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and hopefully we can do it again. My great sometime. pleasure. It, you know what? We should. We'll do it again after they release the shows. We'll get together next year and see if you like it. And we'll talk about it. And in the meantime, uh, Happy New Year to you and your audience. And thanks again for the opportunity. And we'll see you in Burbank anytime you decide to come out. You can find more information about the book, Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky and an Animaniac, Saved My Life at VivaEditions.com. Join me next time when I talk with J. Michael Straczynski about his new book, Becoming Superman, here on WRIR 97.3 FM. For Light Camera Author, I'm Jim Juno. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and Sarah.